She's Got Issues uses compelling personal stories to illustrate how politics and policy impact the lives of ordinary people, especially women. On She's Got Issues, we dive deep into the challenges people face on a personal level. Real people, real life, relatable stories. Our first episode of She's Got Issues is about women in elected office. I'm your host, Jody Srutek. Today I'll be talking to two women working in South Carolina politics. Melissa Watson Ward is the Executive Director of Emerge SC, and she trains women on how to run successful campaigns. The other is Tamika Devine, a dedicated public servant currently running for Columbia, South Carolina mayor. Let's get started. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Melissa. As the executive director of Emerge SC, you train women to tell their personal story. But today, it's your turn. So tell us a little bit about how you came to do this work. Jody, thank you so much for having me today. Um, So how did I get involved in this political work that I'm in? Um, I come from a social service background. My, My background is public health and social work. And my last job before coming to Emerge, I worked with an organization that helped clients apply for different financial resources like Medicaid and SNAP benefits. And I remember being at a health fair one day And this man walks up to me and he's looking for health insurance. And here we have Medicaid, but the man didn't qualify for Medicaid because our governor didn't expand Medicaid. However, he couldn't work because he had a tumor, like a large tumor on his stomach. And I remember him showing me the tumor. Um, It was huge. And unfortunately, because of the tumor, he couldn't work. And so since he couldn't work, he couldn't get health insurance. But again, because our governor refused to expand Medicaid, I couldn't help this gentleman. And he was walking around to all the resource tables trying to find help. And so it was situations like that that really got me frustrated with the work I was doing. While I think it was important work, not being able to help a client or someone who's in need because of one person or one small policy decision was very frustrating. And then, you know, helping clients, for example, apply for SNAP benefits, and they didn't qualify because they made just a couple of dollars too much. But here you can tell that they're in need for food resources. And then the governor at the time, um, back to the governor, the governor is really important in this in the story. Um, she she waived a Medicaid, a SNAP rule that required people to work about go back to work. And when you're in the rural areas, trying to find employment was very hard for individuals, yet they're still hungry. They still need SNAP benefits. But again, because of the decision of one person, now we're having to tell families that no, they don't qualify or they will only qualify for a short period of time. And so those stories started to get very frustrating for me, realizing that there was just one person or a handful of people that were stopping individuals from getting the help that they needed. And I felt like I needed to do more. And so I had been advocating for years at this point, um, you know, I, I would do the whole nine, get dressed up, go to Columbia, or get dressed up and go to DC, talk to my elected officials with all the passion that I had behind me for these causes, and nothing would change. Right. And many times realizing that the people that I was talking to just didn't care about the issues I cared about. They didn't care about the clients that I saw. They didn't care about the needs of the people they were supposed to serve. 
and realizing again that it was literally the decision of one person or in some cases a handful of people that was holding up progress holding up people from being able to get assistance was frustrating to me and so i knew that i needed to change the decision makers and change who was making the decisions. And right around this time is when Emerge South Carolina came about. And so I realized that this was the perfect avenue for me to really be able to do the work that would impact people on the ground that could literally change people's lives by making the helping to elect people that would actually care about their constituents and would be able to make the decisions that would help those clients like that man that I saw that needed the, the health insurance to remove the tumor or the families that need the SNAP benefits that, you know, didn't qualify or would only qualify for a short period of time, all because of decisions of one or two people. And so, you know, coming to Emerge really has allowed me to work to change those decision makers, to help change the, the people on the ground, and to see and to, to really see how these individuals who are elected then go forth and do the work in their communities is amazing because they are working on issues that really are dear to the people that they serve and really do make life altering changes to their constituents lives. Yeah, that is such a compelling story. Well, collection of stories. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I think that's, you know, part of doing the eMERGE training that I've been doing with you and, and, and the other women in the class, that's one of the themes that I keep coming back to and I keep hearing from women who are either running for office or who ran for office. That's one thing a lot of these folks have in common is that they their life stories have influenced their decision to get into policymaking and public service. For a lot of these folks, they've overcome a personal obstacle. So whether that was surviving domestic abuse or losing a loved one to gun violence or something like experiencing sexism in the workplace. For many, these personal experiences are the catalyst for their decision to run for office. So do you, I mean, in the work that you do, do you find that that's important? Do you find that it changes someone's priorities or their leadership style? I think it makes a difference in the type of leader that they, that they are. Um, you've heard the stories of your class members and they, they come from a wide range of experiences, but you're right. It seems to be a common theme throughout the stories that there's some issue and usually some issue you can tie to policy that brought them to emerge, that brought them to the point of wanting to run for office. And that's not just unique with your class. I've noticed it throughout the emerge classes that we have is that the women who are coming to us don't necessarily come with high political ambition and there's nothing wrong with political ambition but they don't they don't come with the desire just to be an elected official they come because there's an issue in their community that needs to be solved and many of them have tried to solve that issue in a number of ways they have volunteered for advocacy group with advocacy groups to advocate to their elected officials they write letters they make phone calls they make visits they volunteer for organizations that are doing the work on the ground and they have not seen the needle move. Nothing has changed. And many times what happens is they're trying to contact their elected officials and they're running into the same problems that I ran into, that their elected officials don't respond back to them, that they're not interested in what they have to say, they're not interested in that topic, 
or they're not on the same side of the issue where they're trying to address it in a way that would really solve the problem for the population that they're, they're working with there. And so the women have gotten frustrated, quite frankly, um, and realizing that they've exhausted every option they have. And now the other option is to replace the elected official that won't respond and, and won't take this issue up. And so that's where many of them I've seen come to the point of wanting to run for office. And then we have some who are current elected officials who see a problem and, and realize they may need to run for a higher office to be able to solve those problems. And so we see it both, you know, women coming into politics because of a, a passion for, for policy, um, or women who are currently serving who see a larger policy issue or a larger issue in their community that needs to be solved. And so I do think it makes them a different type of leader. Their passion for those topics and for those issues make them, I think, a more compassionate leader. Um, they have their finger on the pulse of what's going on in their communities in a, in a different way than some of the people who are currently serving. And I think their desire to serve, I, I hear it so often from the women that I in, even interview um, who are a part of the Emerge program or Emerge alum that they are serving because they have a servant's heart. They want to serve their community. So they truly want to solve the problems that are plaguing their communities. And so I do think that by them coming at it from a policy standpoint, and from having this passion that it just it does make them a different type of leader and a more servant leader and a leader that again is more in touch with what's going on in that community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would agree with that. And I know that that definitely you you are in contact with so many more women than I am who are interested in running for office, but even in my small sphere of influence and and the women that I've known through uh, the Emerge training program that has definitely been the experience and, and the things that I've seen. Um, and I have to, I have to point out to our listeners. So, you know, podcast, this is audio only. We are doing this via zoom so I can see you. <laughs> and, uh, I just want to point out to anyone who can't see us. Melissa is wearing a fantastic t-shirt. It says, you should smile more and the word smile is crossed out and it says run for office in the middle instead mm -hmm. you should run mm -hmm. for office more and i i think that that is uh hopefully it's something that a lot of people throughout south carolina are waking up to that that we need mm -hmm. more women uh in leadership right now so i guess that brings us to you know, our last question, which is simple, but also pretty complex. Where do we go from here? What does the future hold for women in South Carolina politics? I think we're going to see more women get elected. I, I, you know, I couldn't do this job if I didn't have the, op if I wasn't optimistic that we're going to see more women be elected. But I, I truly do believe that because we're seeing more women run for office. And so that's going to make a big difference because people, voters will vote for women. I think that there's this misconception that, you know, people don't want to see women on the ballot or they don't want to see women in elected office. And what we've found is that that's just not true. That when women are on the ballot, people will vote for women. Voters will vote for women. Women can get elected. We just have to show up on the ballot. Um, as I say, you know, you can't vote for the best woman if she's not on the ballot. And so part of the, the struggle there is getting women 
to run for office. And so I truly believe that we're going to see more women elected to office and our state will be better for it. You know, study after study have shown that women get more things done. And that's not to knock our male colleagues, but the reality is when you have women at the decision-making table, women will introduce more bills and get more legislation passed than their male colleagues, and specifically Democratic women. And so we need more women in office if we want to see things progress in South Carolina. So if you are frustrated with what's happening at your city level, your county level, or even what happens in Columbia, and you feel like they're not doing enough, elect a woman because she's going to get things done vote for a woman. And that's not to say that, oh, you should vote for a woman just because she's a woman. But many times women are just as qualified, if not more than their male colleagues on the ballot. You know, we're seeing women who are coming to us with talent, with the, the leadership background, the community experience to be able to serve their communities. So I'm not just saying vote for women because they're women. I'm saying vote for women because she's probably the most qualified person to serve in that role. Yeah, that's a great point. I know a lot of the, a lot of people, you know, who I've met, who I've seen leadership potential in and said to them, hey, you should consider running for office. Often it's, well, I'm not qualified. It's like, look at the guy who's got the seat now. He's not qualified, but he's there. You know, he's making decisions that impact your life. You can do it too. Um, so I think that's, that's all the time we have for today. And I do want to thank you again so much for sharing your insight and, and telling folks about the Emerge SC program, um, and the national program. I think it's really beneficial and I hope you're right. I hope that, that all of these efforts do come to fruition and we do see more women mm -hmm. in elected office, if anything, just to achieve parity, right? So yes. women are half the population. We would hope you heard my puppy there. Uh, women are half the population, and so we would hope that uh, they would make up about half of our elected representation. That is a goal to achieve. Is there anything that you want to add or um, mm -hmm. anything you'd like to share with our audience before we close? Yes. So, you know, on average, it takes asking a woman as many as seven times to run for office. Uh, women of color, I've heard as many as 21 times asking her to run for office because of those same barriers that you mentioned, you know, thinking that they're not qualified for, you know, to run. I'm here to tell you, you are qualified. You are more than qualified. So let this be your one ask. Um, if you're out here listening, please consider running for office. We need more women on the ballot. We need more women running at all levels of government, including our local areas. So I encourage you to seriously consider running for office. If you're frustrated with what is going on in your community, there's a way to change that. And that's to change who the decision maker is. And nobody will be better served by, by serving than you. So really think about if you want to serve, if this is the way for you to serve your community, and if you're interested, you can reach out to me um, at our website, EmergeSC.org. You can also follow us on social media at Emerge South Carolina, and my email address is Melissa at EmergeSC. I look forward to hearing from any of you that are interested in running for office, and we can talk about next steps. Well, thank you so much, Melissa, again, for uh, talking with us today. And um, hopefully we have inspired a couple more women to throw their hat into the ring. Thank you.
On She's Got Issues, we take personal stories and relate them to political topics. So some of what we heard Melissa talking about in the first interview was uh, someone she had worked with as a social worker who was very sick and couldn't work because they were sick, but they couldn't get treatment because they couldn't afford it. So uh, if you remember the story she told, there was a gentleman who had a tumor and he was trying to get benefits, but he didn't qualify based on his income for uh, Medicaid. And she talked a little bit about the Medicaid expansion. So the Medicaid expansion, what she means when she talks about that, is under the Affordable Care Act, the ACA, some people call that Obamacare. When that act was passed, uh, there was a provision in that that allowed states to expand the number of people who qualified for Medicaid, which is the state-run insurance program for low-income people. So here in South Carolina, and in many other southern states like North Carolina and Texas and Florida and Georgia, uh, a lot of those states refused the Medicaid expansion. So they didn't expand the coverage, the number of people who were offered coverage under Medicaid under this provision of the ACA. And the net result of that is that there's quite a few people who are left in what's known as the coverage gap. So these are people who they, they make too much money to be considered poor, so they exceed the federal poverty guideline, um, but they don't quite earn enough money to pay for their own insurance and the co-pays and the deductibles and all the things that go into that. And, and when she was telling her story, it really resonated with me because honestly, that was me for a long time. I work independently and I've been without health insurance for many, many years. Um, and it's really difficult because I knew that I had health problems and I knew I needed to see a doctor, but I didn't have insurance. So if I went, I would be what's known as a cash pay client. So I'd have to pay up front just the going rate for cash for the appointment. And then, you know, my biggest fear, honestly, was that if I needed, you know, any kind of treatment, blood work, um, any kind of diagnostic testing like ultrasounds or MRIs or anything like that, I'd have to pay out of pocket for those. And, you know, some of those tests are hundreds, even into the thousands of dollars. And I knew I just didn't have the money. So I didn't see a doctor for years. Finally, this year I got insurance and I went to physician and sure enough, we ordered blood work and that led to getting you know, diagnostic scans and these types of things. And now I'm being referred to some specialists for a couple of issues. And I just think to myself, there's no way I ever could have afforded this if I, you know, didn't have insurance or any kind of coverage. And it really speaks a lot to people in their situation, especially when we're tying our health insurance to our jobs. Because for some people, it means that they can't leave a job that they don't like or, you know, that they can't work anymore because it's tied to their health insurance. So if they lose their job, they also lose their health insurance. Um, it's a really complicated issue, and I'm glad that she touched on it. And it's interesting to see that that was the issue that sort of sparked her to begin working on another level to influence change within the state. So next up, we're gonna to talk to another influential woman here in South Carolina. Tamika Devine is running for mayor of Columbia, South Carolina, the capital city. 
Tamika has been serving on the uh, city council for many years, and she was a groundbreaking candidate then when she ran for city council. And now she's elected. She'll be the first female mayor of Columbia, South Carolina. She'll also be the first black female mayor of Columbia, South Carolina. So a really exciting candidacy. Um, And I'm eager to talk with her and hear about the types of things that influence her to get involved in public service. Our guest today is Tamika Devine, who is a candidate for mayor in Columbia, South Carolina. Tamika, you and I met virtually over Twitter when you asked about arts programs for the homeless and housing insecure populations. I saw your post and reached out to you as a fellow with the Indie Grits Labs. A little background for our listeners, uh, the 2021 Indie Grits Labs Fellowship Project is titled Home Is, where we explore the idea of what home means to individuals. We also complete community outreach and collaborative art projects with the residents in partnership with the Columbia Housing Authority. So the purpose of our project is to shine a light on the issue of affordable housing in South Carolina, but for my purposes, I also hope to illustrate how many issues interconnect. Homelessness, affordable housing, access to education, representation in government. Some of what we'll be doing with She's Got Issues is talking about how these things overlap and impact people in their everyday lives. I am so excited that you've agreed to talk with me today. Can you talk a little bit about the work that you've done so far on housing and homelessness? Yes, definitely. Well, first of all, I, Jody, I want to thank you so much for number one, for of course inviting me. I'm, I'm very happy to be here on your podcast and talking to you about this very important issue, but also, uh, for you just having this platform, uh, to keep the conversation and dialogue going on these important issues. You know, what I find is that there are so many issues that, um, are important to all of our lives, but because we don't talk about them in depth, uh, we might only understand them on the surface, but don't understand them deep down. And forums and platforms like this, I think, give us an ability to to understand them better. So, again, thank you. Um, but to answer your question, yes, um, I have been a member of, of Columbia City Council for many years. And even before I was elected, I worked really um diligently in the community on a lot of issues that are near and dear to my heart, uh, including um, housing and uh, worked with uh, uh, victims of domestic or survivors of domestic violence, which, of course, affordable housing is a barrier to a lot of women leaving abusive situations or once they leave, being able to get on their feet. So affordable housing is something that I personally um, I feel is very important. And so I have taken it on as a very important issue as an elected official. And so over the years, my um, work in affordable housing has spanned from uh, working to uh, normalize the discussion about around affordable housing or whether you want to call it attainable housing, which I think is really a more a suitable term for it because um, affordable housing, I think, gives people a stigma or idea that it's about different incomes. But I think it, it really attainable housing is about no matter what your income is, if, you, if your uh, housing costs and housing needs um, and the housing availability within your community far out, outpaces what you make, uh, then even if you're making $100,000 and you live in a, a community where the minimum, um, you know, the houses are, are far beyond that reach, it's difficult for you. So 
Um, part of my work has been about having normal conversations about the need and, and who attainable housing is for. It's for all of us. It's for uh, the students that are just graduating from our great universities here in Columbia, like Benedict Allen and USC. It's for the young professionals. It is for our seniors. It is for our teachers and law enforcement. It, it's for everybody who is not making a living wage um, and that the housing here in the Midlands uh, far outpaces what we make. So talking about that, I chair the Affordable Housing Task Force right now for the city of Columbia. And what we're looking at is real solutions and how do we address affordable housing within our community um, by first identifying what the need is and then um, having the conversation about how do we solve that need through public-private partnerships. Um, homelessness, I've, I've also worked there uh, with trying to be an advocate uh, for those folks in our community who are unsheltered and how do we find solutions to the real root causes of uh, their housing situations. We have a lot of people who are on uh, living on our streets um, because of mental health or substance abuse issues. So in my legal practice, I am a court-appointed attorney for folks that are experiencing mental health or substance abuse issues um, that keep them out of the mainstream of our community. And I, I represent them um, in court to help them get into treatment, get housing and things like that. Um, I've also uh, worked um, and I was the person who helped establish the very first homeless court here in the state of South Carolina. And now we have, I think, four or five in the state um, pattern after the one we have here in Columbia, which um, tends to help those unsheltered citizens who might have a brush with the law and it helps them get into um treatment options and helps them identify the real sources of their their um, homelessness instead of criminalizing uh, being homeless and living on our street. So those are just a few things that I do. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I do is um, I have and will always be an advocate for all of the folks within the city who might be experiencing any kind of issues, whether it's um, income in, in income instability, if it's housing issues or anything else, I continue to want to elevate these conversations like you do here with this podcast so that we can all understand the problem um, problems and then work together for real solutions that will not only strengthen the city of Columbia, but our entire region. Yeah, definitely. And I think you really touched on the idea and, and really the the goal of this podcast is that we're trying to go beyond those 30 second sound bites where it's like, you know, and I know, especially when we, when we do candidate forums and things like that, it's often, you know, you have two minutes. How are you going to solve this very <laughs> complex issue? <laughs> um, and so some of the things that you said really resonated with me and it, and I think you were very able to articulate the concept that we've been working on here with, with our project home is, is what is home to you? So affordable, attainable housing, some people call it workforce housing. I mean, it really is different things to different people. When you're talking about the unsheltered population, you know, having a, a safe place to lay their head at the end of the night is, is one issue. But then when we also have you know, young people who are first entering the workforce uh, who want to move to a city and, and they're just starting out their careers, finding something that they can, you know, that... They can uh, commute to their place of employment and, you know, find safe and secure housing as they get started in life. That's important, too, just as it's important for, you know, a single mother who maybe left 
a, a dysfunctional relationship to find housing. So it means different things to different people, which you really articulated very, very well. And there's not a one size fits all solution. So thank you for that. I really appreciate that. Um, so currently, you're running for mayor of Columbia, South Carolina. So can you tell us your personal story? What led you to this moment? What was it that got you interested and involved in public service to begin with? Oh, wow. It's a great question. Um, so Columbia is home for me. I, I grew up in Columbia. My my family roots are, are here in Columbia. My great-grandparents um, lived here in Columbia. They raised their children here. Uh, my father raised me here. So Columbia is home. So I've always wanted to to be here and, and contribute to the growth of Columbia. I left for four years of college. I went to Hampton University in Virginia and then came back here. Um, but when I was uh, after law school, I started working under a Violence Against Women Act grant. Um, and I worked, first of all, with legal services uh, to help women who were obtaining a uh, um, assistance in family court as they were uh, leaving abusive situations. And then after working there for about eight months, I was, uh, I uh, accepted a job at the attorney general's office here um, in the state attorney general's office to help lead the violence against women program at the state attorney general's office. And so while I was there, I, I, honestly, I would tell you growing up and most people who knew me when I was a little girl would tell you growing up, I never thought I'd be interested in quote politics. I've always been a public servant, though. I have always worked in um, in serving our community, whether it's through my church, through my sorority, through the other organizations that I'm in, um, just as my, a family. My family was very public service oriented. And so that was always part of my life. But I never really honestly saw that politicians or that politics was a way to serve the public. Um, and uh, while I was at attorney general's office, uh, we were working with the city of Columbia and other cities in establishing domestic violence courts, training their law enforcement, doing what nationally were the best practices to address domestic violence and sexual assault in our communities. And honestly, I'm working with the city of Columbia. I met some resistance and some obstacles and it heightened my, um, understanding of the power of the elected officials on the local level and what they do and don't do, what they have the power to authorize and not authorize. And uh, as I started watching, I realized that there was nobody like me on city council. There was no African-American female. There was no younger person. There wasn't uh, uh, there wasn't somebody who had like a deep history, like I mentioned, of, of Columbia that, you know, our family, my family is rooted here. And so as I was looking at the city and, and what I felt like there was a void on council um, and I started watching kind of the decisions they made, I, I really I could think it was my aha moment of understanding how public how elected officials um, our public servants and how politics is just one mechanism to affect positive change in your community by advocating for legislative changes and policy changes on the local, state, and national level. So um, I uh, talked to my parents about it. I prayed on it and I decided to run for city council. And I did that um, with the idea of not necessarily uh, being a public, uh, not, not being a politician, but serving my community in a bigger way and being that voice that I felt was uh, missing on that uh, policymaking body. It's, it's it's interesting to hear you talk about that because so your story echoes the stories of so many other women who made that leap. And, and often they will say, you know, it's not about politics, it's about service. 
And a lot of the women that I've talked to who have run for office, whether they were successful or unsuccessful in their endeavor, often it was a a personal choice or something in their personal background that led them to, to... fight for justice for someone else or uh, advocate for someone else. And they ran up against a roadblock and realized, you know, I I can affect change in a different way if I were, you know, an elected official in this service capacity. So I think that's one of the reasons why we need more women in elected leadership in South Carolina. Women govern a little bit differently, I feel like. And sometimes the priorities maybe are different as well. Um, so much of the work that you had talked about was for women and advocating for women. Uh, at listening to you talk about the Violence Against Women Act and and the work that you did with survivors of domestic abuse, it really kind of drives that message home. If you are elected mayor, you will be the first African-American woman to serve in that office in Columbia. So what does that mean to you? Well, I, I will tell you first of all, Jody. I actually, I will be the first woman of any race um, on uh, elected mayor. We have never had a female mayor in the city of Columbia, which I think it sounds so odd in 2021. But as I was looking, we've we've not. I mean, a lot of our major cities in South Carolina have not had female mayors. So I think it's a very. So what it means to me is it just it opens up that I am I'm not running for myself, but I really truly am running for. Um, you know, all of our families, you know, like you said, and I, I tell this on the campaign trail a lot. I would say that I, I think that I, I'm not saying that women lead better than men, but we do lead differently. And you just said that, too. We lead differently um, and we govern differently. Uh, um, I am a solutions oriented person. I am about finding real solutions to issues and it not being about me personally, but about how do we work together as a community to address the real needs in our, our in our community. Um, and I am running to be an independent voice for um, that is championing all of our communities um, and promoting inclusive growth. And when I say inclusive, that means for everyone uh, and women. To me, I feel like, uh, you know, I'm not running to make history because I actually did that because I'm the first African-American female on city council. Um, but I but it's not lost to me that this is a historic election. We've never had a woman even run for the mayor's seat in the city of Columbia. And so, yeah, when elected, I'll be the first female mayor of the city. Uh, but I'm not represent. I'm not running to only, you know, elevate women's issues or female issues. I think our issues are very important and need to be at the table. But I think women's issues are community issues. They're the family's issues. Um, our issues are about bringing together our community and building it for everybody to succeed. And so for me, I see it not only historic um opportunity for me and our city, but for our state to really, as our capital city, really stepping into um, having someone in the mayor's office that does bring that independent, um, uh, progressive, um, inclusive vision of how do we support our community and our families in a, in a way that maybe we haven't uh, done up to now. Yes, I would, I would agree with that. I do think that it's not, when women run, it's not better, but it is different. And, and embracing those differences, um, is, is better for everyone. So I would kind of agree with all those things that you just said. And I really do wish you the best of luck, um, in your candidacy. 
Did you want to share with folks how they can get in touch with you if they would like to either contribute to your campaign or volunteer or learn a little bit more about what your platform is? Sure. Thank you so much. Yes, they can go to my website, which is divineformayor.com, or I am also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, um, also at Divine for Mayor. And you can go there and read more about my platform, what I have done as an elected official so far, and what I would plan to do as, as your next mayor. Also, you can contribute to the uh, uh, campaign, or you can actually join the campaign. We have actually, uh, we have Women for Divine, which is a group, a diverse group of women across the city who are, are supporting me. And again, it's not about just women, but we do know that women, we do the work. We do a lot of the work in our community. We don't always get the recognition or the um, attention of, for the work that we do in the community, but we do. And so I am I'm bringing my sisters as well as my brothers along to really be part of this historic campaign. And so you can find out more at our website or on social media. Well, thank you. Thank you again for uh, joining me today. And, and we really do wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Well, that's it. Thanks for listening to the first episode of She's Got Issues, Women in Politics. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. She's Got Issues podcast was created as part of the Indie Grits Labs Fellowship Program. The 2021 Fellowship Project, Home Is, was made possible by Indie Grits Labs, the Columbia Film Society, and a sponsorship from the National Endowment for the Arts. Many thanks to everyone involved. The views expressed on She's Got Issues belong to the host and guests and do not reflect those of Indigrits Labs, its affiliates, or employees. The music for today's episode is from Upbeat, free content for creators. The introduction soundtrack is Clarity, by Zoo, and the transition soundtrack is called No Greater Love by Brock Hewitt, Stories in Sound.